Welcome to Bellies, Bits and Babies, a babyology podcast about women's pelvic health, hosted by pelvic floor expert and physiotherapist Heba Shahid. She's on a mission to break the taboos surrounding women's pelvic health and to educate and empower women to live healthier, stronger and happier lives. In this episode, we're talking about sex, relationships and pregnancy. Is it okay to have sex while you're pregnant? Is it normal for sex to be painful? How can couples get back to intimacy after children? Almost 24% of young women say that sex is painful, but we're here to let you know that you don't have to live with it. In just a moment, we'll be joined by clinical sexologist Tanya Coons from Surrey Hills Therapy, who will answer all these questions and more. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you help women who are trying to conceive and in that postpartum period. Right. A little bit about myself. Um, I'm a qualified sex therapist stroke sexologist, which means I do a bit of research. I see clients in my office. I also teach and speak and give workshops. Basically, um, I'm a bit of a pleasure activist. I'm out there to try and make sure that people are having good and pleasant sex, not things that they tolerate, no pain and, and no problems. I love how you said you're a pleasure activist. Oh, yes, indeed. <laughs> people say, what does that mean? I'm like, I want people to have more of a good time. So it's a wonderful gig. So Tanya, what are some of the most common sex-related problems that you see in women, especially women who are trying to conceive or mothers after they've given birth? Usually the two most common things that I see are anorgasmia, so women who are having difficulties having an orgasm. Um, so that doesn't get in the in the way of conception so much, and we can work with that as a separate issue. But also painful sex, and that does get in the way of people getting pregnant or people coming together with their partner because people find it very difficult to speak about and start avoiding sex rather than dealing with it. A lot of the women I see have spent years um, trying to deal with it before they've come along to see me. I certainly share that same experience as well. So working as a uh, women's health physiotherapist, yeah. we see women who have a lot of sexual pain and we kind of yeah. treat them more from the physical point of view. So just for those of you listening, pain with sex is pretty common. It can affect roughly one in five women, especially in women who have a condition called vaginismus, where the muscles can be quite tight at the entrance of the at the entrance of the vagina, and a lot of women don't realise that painful sex is that common. Yeah. So, can you talk more about how common it is and yeah. what the types of symptoms that women normally experience? Yeah. The first thing I want to say about painful sex is sex is designed so it should not be painful. So, if it's hurting, something is going wrong. And it should not be tolerated. I think that's a really important message to put out there because I think a lot of people just put up with it to keep their partner happy. And that doesn't lead for good connective sex. It doesn't lead for people wanting to have sex. Um, yeah, it doesn't lead to feeling good about sex in general. So... Um, the statistics that I have are about 8% of the population and female population have vaginismus, which is increasing, interestingly, um, and I can talk a little bit more about that. And also 22%, 22 to 24% of young women are experiencing pain or discomfort during sex. And I think this is a lot about um, 
both men and women, not understanding how women's bodies work and how they arouse. So they're having intercourse with not enough arousal going on in their body and this can lead to tissues tearing or um, just discomfort and pain and then over time this can lead to the body starting to tense up and flinch when it's thinking about sex and anticipating pain and that can lead to hypotonic muscle spasms which means I need to send them to see someone like yourself. It's so common, like you said. I mean, 8% of women have vaginismus. That's crazy. That's like, you know, almost one in 10 women are walking around, you know, with their muscles physically unable to let go enough that you can actually have penetrative sex. That's it. And and for those who don't know what vaginismus is, it's an involuntary uh, clamping or spasming of the muscles. It can be in your pelvic floor. There's all sorts of places that it can affect, but it basically affects the ability to take something inside the vagina. So a finger, a doctor's um, speculum, a penis, all those sorts of things can be really difficult. It it could not happen or it could um, uh, cause a lot of pain when it does happen. Vaginismus isn't the only condition that affects women. So there's a variety of other issues that can cause painful sex. We know that a lot of women who have conditions like endometriosis have painful sex. But definitely women after birth experience more painful sex and they don't even realize that it's something that could potentially happen. And so many women have come to my practice saying, you know, I didn't have this issue before, but now whenever I have any type of intimacy with my partner, it's it's painful and I don't even feel like doing it anymore. So for me, what I usually see is women who have conditions where they might have had excessive perineal tearing or vaginal tearing in their childbirth. And so they've developed this excess scar tissue in that area, or maybe they've had a bit of dryness in their vaginal area because maybe they're still breastfeeding. And we know that breastfeeding lowers estrogen in the body and makes things drier down there. So is there any other types of situations where you see painful sex in new mothers or in women who've ever given birth? I definitely agree with you on the scar tissue, definitely. And um, I often get people to take some time massaging their scars with um, organic castor oil because that's known to break down the scar tissue. And this is stuff that I learned during my sexological bodywork training. So although I work as a talk therapist, I've actually done hands-on bodywork training as well, and it really helps to sort of understand this. And we did a lot about scar remediation. Even inside the vagina, just as as you're giving birth, you can scar inside of the vaginal walls. So understanding that there may be scar tissue there that could cause pain is important. And the, the people that I would refer to there are sexological body workers because they're actually trained to do hands-on, one-way touch from practitioner to client scar remediation in, in this way, which is quite unusual and not what a lot of practitioners do. Pelvic floor physiotherapists are yeah. also specialists in this right. area. So we do internal massage, scar tissue release, pelvic floor massage, yeah. relaxation techniques. Yeah. Um, and the other things that we often recommend is that women do, you know, moisturize that area, maybe with some coconut oil or so with, with some castor oil. Yeah, um, organic castor oil. Organic castor oil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean, some of the other things that usually happen is women might have some type of birth injury. So maybe they've had a pelvic organ prolapse or they're suffering from urinary or fecal incontinence, or maybe things just look different down there and feel different down there. So they feel uncomfortable to get back to sex or to be intimate with their partner again. So 
What advice do you have for these women who are nervous about returning to intimacy after children? Um, the first thing is to focus on pleasure. Take things slowly. See see what's possible. I think a lot of women are concerned. I mean, even before uh, birth, a lot of women are concerned that they don't look good, smell good, feel good, taste good. But there's a lot of shaming around women's genitals. Um, the things that we and, and a lot of women are sort of anxious that they might not not be they might be a bit flabby down there uh, and that it won't be as pleasant for their partner so understanding how female arousal works goes a long way to allaying some of these fears because um, there's a whole lot of stuff that goes on on the inside of our body when we're arousing Um, the clitoral system this has only sort of been out and proud for the last 12 years that people have discovered and understood how it works so on the inside of our bodies, we, we see, if we're lucky, in textbooks, just this kind of like little nubby thing that represents the, the clitoris. But on the inside of the body, wrapped around the pelvic bones, there are bulbs and legs that, that are made up of exactly the same erectile tissue that uh, you can find in men's penises. Uh, and these swell up on the inside. And as we're arousing, through touching, through kissing, through our head going, wow, this is really quite nice, I'm enjoying this kind of touch, um, blood will engorge into this area and these guys will swell up and the the vestibular bulbs will actually press from the inside against the vaginal walls and make sure that everything's kind of nice and tight and feels good and where they contact is actually called the G-crest, not the G-spot anymore. Um, Interesting. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. So the better foreplay we're having, the nice and tight and more warmed up we are and also that will ensure that we've got quite enough vaginal sweat, which is the lubrication. So things can be nice and tight and slippery, the kinds of things that everybody's looking for. I'd also suggest if you were having hormone issues to use your own lubricant as well. People get very like, oh, I shouldn't use that. It means that I'm failing. It doesn't mean that you're failing. It means that your body needs a little bit of assistance. And if you can have assistance to feel better and enjoy pleasure with your partner, why would you not do that? I completely agree. (laughs) And I'm always telling the women that I work with that you should be using some additional lubricant if you need to. And, you know, it could be water-based lubricants. I normally recommend a brand called Yes, 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 because it's an organic-based lubricant and it has minimal effects on that vulva vaginal area, especially if you're a bit more sensitive down there. And especially if you're postpartum, being postpartum can have a bit more sensitivity there. Yeah. Or oil-based lubricants are also really great because, um, you know, they're natural. You can use like coconut oil, almond oil, olive oil. Do you you share similar recommendations? I do, but I also know because I treat a lot of women that have had breast cancer or things like that where they're getting cracking, sort of like eczema-like symptoms down on the genitals. And then I would recommend a silicon-based lube because it creates a slick surface for things to slide past. And there are good silicon-based lubes that you can get. There's one, a brand called Pure, P-J-U-R, made in Germany, and there's another one called Swiss Navy. Um, they're quite good. And, yeah, again, they create that slick surface. What I need to tell people with that is put a towel down because if you get it on your sheets, you need to wash your sheets a few times in hot water and don't use silicon lube with silicon sex toys because it can tear strips off them. So if in doubt, use water-based lube on your toys. You mentioned before about the female arousal system. What are some of the most common misconceptions that you see when it comes to this? Um, 
The most common one is that people think that females arouse in the same way as males do. And, you know, the male arousal system is pretty obvious. You know, we can see straight away if they're aroused and ready to go. They get blood into the area pretty quickly and you can see an erect member there and, and everybody's pretty sure what's going on. For us, we're not socialized as as nicely about our genitals as the guys are. We, Like I said before, we get told that they don't look good, they don't smell good, they don't taste good, they don't feel good. We take much longer in partnered sex to be able to have an orgasm. I think the statistics are 17 and a half minutes for women in partnered sex, yet it's four minutes for masturbation for both men and women. So this makes me think, wow, okay, we're not understanding how women's bodies are and then we're blaming them for being just too darned pernickety. Whereas if we understood that we need time, we need a switch to go off in our head first of all, right? So we don't wake up with an erection. That's not us, that's the guys. We need a switch to go off in our head that's like, oh, he's kind of cute today, look at him, and tell our brain that, yes, we're gonna, we want to arouse. I think most people think that a vagina is like a little hole that's waiting for a penis to drop in for a visit but actually it's kind of like a squash flat balloon most of the time so we need it to arouse and when people do what I call a bit of flick and twiddle foreplay where they're just having a casual feel of the breasts and then they're feeling to the outside of the vulva to see if things are moist enough for a penis to go in there um, we're not we're nowhere near warmed up enough and what moisture you're feeling then will be a couple of drops of viscous fluid that are secreted from the Bartholin's glands and that's designed to coat the tip of whatever's going in, right? Fingers, fist, penis, dildo, whatever. It's only meant to coat what's going in. What we need to do over foreplay, and a note here, it takes women's bodies 45 to 60 minutes to become fully aroused. Now, a lot of people can have intercourse before that, but it's good to know that our bodies take time for the blood to come in and for the the cells in the body there to fill up with blood and to sweat, the, the walls to sweat. One side of the vagina has what's called the orgasmic plateau where there are all sorts of yummy spots that can be touched and they feel nice if there's blood and engorgement in the area, if it's not warmed up enough, it's pretty meh to push past. But you've got an O spot, an A spot, a G spot, and a U spot that you can go exploring for. That's a lot of spots. That's a lot of spots. <laughs> it's like a pinball machine. Um, and also around about the 15-minute mark of foreplay, all of our pelvic floor muscles drop down to make way for a penis. This is really, really important information for lots of people because they don't understand that and they don't understand why they may be having discomfort or pain during sex. It's interesting you say all this because whenever I would see a woman who comes to me for painful sex, the first thing I would ask her is, well, not the first thing, one of the things (laughs) that I would ask her is, how long do you spend on foreplay? And the most average answer I would get is about five to 10 minutes, which is crazy. Yeah. And they're coming to me because they're, you know, they're having painful sex. So obviously there's something going on in their pelvic floor muscles. They recognize that it's a physical issue. And so when you educate them about what's actually happening in their arousal system and how long it takes for the pelvic floor muscles to actually relax. And beyond that, there's more than that in the arousal system. We know that the vagina balloons, it yes. opens up, yeah. the uterus lifts up and out of That's the way. That's right. The uterus pulls, but, and that pulls back the cervix, right? So if you want to have porn star kind of pounding sex, that's the time to have it when your body's cushioned uh, uh, that you can take the, the regular thrusting and that your cervix is pulled up and out of the way because for some women that's not a pleasant experience to have that bumped into. Exactly. And if you haven't taken that 
you know, 15 to 20 minutes at least during foreplay, those pelvic floor muscles are still tight and uncomfortable. And we know that, as you mentioned before, it takes at least 45 minutes for women to reach full arousal, right? Yeah. So you need 45 minutes at least for your pelvic floor to completely let go, for your lubrication system to completely kick in. And in saying that, not every woman is going to lubricate yeah. anyway. We know that some, some people, women... Yeah, they can, they can get there pretty quickly. But I think everybody seems to be in a hurry to get to the P in V part, right? right? And I'm interested in that. Because if you go out for dinner, do you bolt down all of your dinner so that you can get to dessert? Like, can, can we not have a really nice journey till we get to the, the, the good bit or the finale? That's you know, right. Yeah, I, I sort of encourage people to take time and to explore. And I think what happens then is they realize they don't know what feels nice for them, the females, and the males are sort of like, well, uh, I don't know what to do. So there needs to be a little bit of exploration because there are many, many delicious things that you can do for outer course, which is everything aside from intercourse. You're listening to Bellies, Bits and Babies, a babyology podcast about women's pelvic health, hosted by pelvic floor expert and physiotherapist Heba Shahid. In this episode, we're talking about sex with clinical sexologist Tanya Coons. After the break, we'll find out what it means to plan to be spontaneous. There are so many changes new parents go through. If you're enjoying this series, have a listen to Kindling Conversation with Siobhan Hunt. It's a daily parenting show and podcast that explores everything from fussy eaters and starting big school to how to take care of your relationships. Parenting is actually a skill that you learn on the job. We need to have strategies that we can keep topping ourselves up in order to keep giving. Kindling Conversation Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Earlier, you also mentioned that there's quite a bit of shame around the female parts and orgasm and so on. Yeah. Can you explain why that might be? Um, I think it's the way that we're socialized. I really do. I look, you know, the the earliest picture I've seen of a, a male baby touching the genitals is in the womb, right? I've seen an image of a child in the womb, hand around penis, right? That's pretty early to be getting to know your genitals. I think for guys, their tackle's all on the outside and they touch it when at a young age, realize, hey, this feels nice. And if they jiggle it around, they can get an orgasm. And for women, not so much. We're on the inside. And then there's a lot of shame around female genitals. A friend of mine just got a, a gig teaching sex education in primary schools. And she came to me and said, Tanya, I can't believe it. They gave me nine pictures of penises to show the kids and no vulvas. And I was like, what? Did you talk to them? She said, yes. They told me that pictures of vulvas were too explicit. That is terrible. I know. So it's not. There are lots of reasons why women don't understand. People were taking clitorises out of an anatomy textbooks um, as late as the nineteen seventies, right? But they, it gets edited out. People don't like to see female genitals, and then we get told that they need to look a certain way, like all the girls that people see in porn, and they don't. 
explain the the beauty and the variety and the difference that is all completely and absolutely normal. So just as we get body shamed about other parts of our bodies, it's happening to our genitals as well, which makes me so incredibly sad. There is a lot of body shaming that happens, especially around female, the female parts. And yeah, and that's another thing is that you know, female parts do look different. I mean, working as a women's health physio, yeah. I've seen thousands yeah. of different vaginas <laughs> and vulvas over the time. And yeah. women don't realize that we do all look different. Sometimes if they see something else and their parts don't look like what yeah. they've seen, they think that there's something wrong with them or that, or that they're not normal. And this is sometimes some of the things that women will come into my clinic and say, and there's something wrong with me. My, you know, for example, my inner labia are, uh, you know, larger than my outer labia, whereas what they're normally seen. Yeah, and we know that it is very normal. Yeah, very normal. There's a a fantastic project online called the Vulva Library that you can go and have a look at different pictures of vulvas to see how beautiful and varied they are. There are lots of, I think I put an article up on my Facebook not so long ago about uh, with little line drawings of the different types of vulvas. You can have uneven lips. You can have bigger inner lips than outer lips. You can have all sorts of configurations and they're all completely and utterly normal. What you need to understand is that we're in possession of this wonderful thing called the clitoral system and its sole function is for pleasure and it has more nerve endings than the glands tip of the penis. So we're kind of lucky with that thing. A lot of women don't realize that in women the orgasm system is different and that it does need to involve some clitoral stimulation. A lot of women think that penetrative sex should be enough to get me to orgasm. And it's a really big misconception. And <laughs> yeah. whenever I see women coming to my clinic with sexual dysfunction, it's the thing that's most commonly believed, that why can't I have an orgasm? Yeah, from straight penetration from alone. straight penetration alone. And also, can you talk about that? Yeah, I can, because um, it's only 28% of the population can do that. And I think that that's a revolving 28%. It depends on your genital configuration as well, how far away your clitoris is from the introitus, which is the entrance of the vagina, what shape your partner's penis is, what positions you're in, all sorts of things are going int- to affect that ability. Um, the other thing is... is a lot of people are having intercourse within a couple of minutes of foreplay and that's the body's not warmed up enough and going to be ready to be able to feel nice to tip over to have an orgasm. And on top of that, then there's the women thinking in their head, oh my God, I'm taking too long. He's been down there for ages. Maybe I should send him a snorkel. I don't look good. I don't smell good. I don't taste good. This doesn't feel good. None of those thoughts are very sexy and you really need to be having sexy thoughts in order to tip over and have an orgasm because for a split second there you need to lose control to tip over. All these worried thoughts are not very sexy and they're not going to help you tip over. A lot of mums have trouble with shifting their mind focus from <laughs> kids and you know food and housework and all of those things that are constantly circling in our minds to that point where you lose control. What tips do you have for mums who are struggling with this? With their heads, yes. I think that that this happens to lots of people, you know. And from speaking to a lot of men, I understand that when they're having sex, they just turn into one big penis. That's all they're thinking about. They're not worried about, we don't have any brown bread, we've got to go to this party, where are the kids tonight? They're not thinking about that stuff at all. So um, for us, we need to kind of keep coming back into our bodies, out of our heads and into our bodies. So having a little conversation in our head that looks a little bit like this, 
oh, I really like it when he touches me there, right? So it's going to bang, click us back to the present and stop our head running off into the future with the anxious or the worried thoughts. Or I really like it when he does that thing with his tongue. Or, oh my goodness, he smells so great. Or I really like the look of him from this angle. So you'll notice the things that I'm talking about are the senses. So when we're engaging with our senses and we're talking about what's happening to our body right now, it's impossible for our brain to do the anxious time travel into the future and worry about things. So it's always going to bring us back to the now, which is where we're having a lot of fun. We hear a lot about mindfulness. So it's yeah. that sensory mindfulness, isn't it? I actually call that thing a, a little mindfulness chat. You know, Have a little mindful chat in, in your head about what's going on. In fact, stop worrying about the shopping and come back to what's happening in your body right now because right now we're having a lot of fun. The shopping doesn't sound as much fun as what's going on here. One of the biggest issues is new mums, you know, having to juggle that baby and your intimate life. And sometimes I tell women, maybe you just need to schedule it. Maybe you actually need to set time aside where it's just you and your partner and maybe you leave your bub with mother-in-law or your sister or somebody who can look after the baby. What do you think about that? Ha. So I have this little thing that I call planning to be spontaneous, right? Because I think, again, the media is responsible for us thinking that we have to have this spontaneous desire where we have a tingling in the loins and we need to jump on top of each other right now. And that's all good and sexy. And it's more common in the beginning of relationships where you have limerence going on and and lots of hormones in the body that are pushing you to find a, a mate. Right, But after a while, those those hormones go away and you have to work at your intimate life. So planning to be spontaneous looks like making time in your week or your fortnight uh, to hang out together and do something intimate that if you did it on your own, you wouldn't do it with your best friend. You just do it with your partner and it's something nice, something like have a bath together or it's Monday night. How about I massage you this week and next week you massage me? So, Or we could have naked TV night. Or we could watch TV with our hands down each other's pants and wiggle our fingers during the ads. All sorts of things that are cute and connective and they might lead to sex. If they do, fantastic. And if they don't, that's okay too. Right? So we're we're creating opportunities to be spontaneous, so to speak. It's one of those things called mum guilt um, <laughs> where we're kind of like stuck between a hard place and a rock, right? Like yeah. we, we want to be really great mums, but we also want to be really great partners. And sometimes we're just like, well, which one takes priority? And you kind of just shut both of them off sometimes. Or, oh, or and just... also most new mums are exhausted and tired and they're, they're getting a lot of their touch me- needs met by their baby. So it, it's got to be a conscious thing to include dad into this and to include time. I suggest often when when we get to, when we come together at the end of the day when dad or mum comes home, have some time in your boudoir. Take 10 minutes and just lie down or sit on the sofa, but entwined, touching each other, and then talk about your day as if you were the lovers. Not who's going to pay what bill and where the kids are going, not that stuff, but hey, how's work going? How's your boss? Is he still being a tool? How's your mum? Are you guys okay? Um, I'm really looking forward to this weekend away we've got planned. The lovers are interested in each other, right? And it's really important to keep that up because domestic life can wear that down. Absolutely. Yeah. What other what other advice do you have for tired mums and fatigued mums? 
don't wait till you go to bed to have sex. (laughs) (laughs) I ask lots and lots of people, when do you expect to have sex? And they're like, when we go to bed. I'm like, oh, okay. When do you go to bed? And they're like, when we're tired. Oh, I can see the (laughs) penny drop. Um, It's like, well, why don't we do something, you know, like get grandma to look after the kids on Saturday afternoon and have a relaxed time where we're chatting and doing something nice. So, because I think when you schedule sex, people get a bit anxious about performing, right? And they're like, wow, I don't like that it's scheduled. It's not nice and natural as it was. So this making conscious time to, to spend with your partner, it is really hard. I say to people, look, if you have children under five years old, I'm not going to lie, your sex life will take a hit. But it doesn't have to disappear, right? So it's it's being realistic and being kind, You can have sex that kind of weaves its way around the situation. You know, it may not be, let's get all dressed up and do sexy stuff and swing off the chandeliers. That those occasions might be a little farther apart with kids under five. But there are times where you can connect and have nice, warm, cuddly sex. I completely agree. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes women struggle with feeling sexual in their pregnancies or. On the other hand, there's a lot of women who become more sexual during pregnancy. But sometimes there's like this fear of, can I have sex while I'm pregnant? What do you have to say about that? Um, I say, yes, you can. It's it's up to you about what feels more comfortable. Uh, One or both parents... Can, um, can often worry about this. Sometimes women are feeling more sexual and beautiful and glowing and, you know, feeling abundant and really in touch with their bodies and their partners are too nervous to have sex. You know, I get quite a few people come in and talk to me about that. They're kind of angry that their partner doesn't want to touch them and then they take it personally like, oh, you know, I feel like a beached whale now that they don't want to have sex with me and blah, blah, blah. It may just be anxiety about, well, uh, you know, I'm really worried that something might go wrong. Right. It's it's quite interesting with that. There's a number of changes in the body, so people can cope well or not well with that. But I say if it feels good and it's okay, then go for it. That's it. And it's important for women who are pregnant to know that it is completely safe to have sex while you're pregnant. Yes. You can have penetrative sex. Of course, there are some women who can't have it and they would be advised by their obstetrician not to. But in general, it's totally fine. Your baby is completely safe. It's wrapped in that beautiful, really strong uterus. Nothing's going to happen. So don't feel like pregnancy is a no-no for sex. That's right. And remember, sex is not all about the the penetration. Let's talk about pleasure and let's talk about connecting. There are so many sexual things that you can do with your partner that don't involve penetration really. Um, so stay connected and stay having those nice feelings together because I think often when people are trying to conceive, they get stuck in this rut of making a baby so it becomes a job rather than a pleasurable thing to do um, and and they forget how nice it can be to take some time out and connect with their partner and just feel yummy. And I think that's a really great message to send out is that we can use that time as intimacy and connection. It doesn't always have to lead to penetrative sex. It can just be that time where we're bonding with our partners. Yeah, absolutely. There's lots of, you know, we can do some kissing. We can do a little bit of frottage or dry humping. We can can do some oral sex. We can do touching, manual stimulation. We can do so much more than just penetrative sex. And it still counts. I know a lot of women are like, well, unless I have penetrative sex, my partner's going to be upset with me or feel like that hasn't been real sex. And I correct them on that straight away saying that is real sex. 
It really is. Um, and it's lovely and it's intimate. And for many women, that feels much better than actual penetration. That's it. And so many women feel like penetrative sex is this goal that you have to reach. And we have to kind of shift yes. our mindset from that, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I really encourage people to have sex that is not performance or outcome oriented. That puts pressure on. If you focus on what feels good, it's going to be so much more fun and a lot easier to find your way there. And this brings us back to that painful sex situation. You don't have to have painful sex and you don't have to have penetrative sex if it's painful. You can do all these other things that can be enjoyable and fosters intimacy between yourself and your partner and it feels good for you. That's exactly right. And get some help around painful sex. If you're listening to this and you've been enduring or tolerating anything towards sex, then it's worth having a chat with somebody. Um, A good friend of mine and colleague did a a PhD on women and painful sex, and the average woman had spent upwards of $20,000 trying to get help and seen 18 or more specialists before they were taken seriously, which really upsets me. They get told to relax or just put up with it, uh, usually by a male specialist. You know, like I'd really like to see if if men were invited to put up with pain or just relax if, if we'd still have the same issues. It's terrible, and so many women are told that this is normal, that painful sex is normal. It's part and parcel of being a woman. And so many women are told that, yes, you have to put up with it. And so many women are just shut down or like, oh, no, we don't deal with that or it's all in your head. That's right. And also I have to do this for my partner. Let me say very loudly and very clearly, I say this to men and women, you are not responsible for your partner's sexual needs. Right. It may be interesting if you have a monogamous arrangement, like most of the people around the place, but you are still not responsible for your partner's needs if they want sex more than you. If you're having uncomfortable intercourse problems, there are plenty of other things that you can do and say, hey, I'd be happy to sign up for this, or I'm not in the mood tonight, maybe you're going to need to look after yourself, or um, how about we lie here and just stroke each other, or how about you masturbate and I lie with you and be present with you so that you can feel me and that I'm part of it. There are so many things that you can do. It does not have to be um, a demand for penis and vagina sex, especially if that's something that's uncomfortable or painful. We've spoken about a lot of different things today in terms of enhancing a woman's sexual experience and tackling common issues like sexual pain and desire issues. One of the things that a lot of women suffer from are issues with their libido. So especially post-birth, that drop in libido. What advice do you have for women who are struggling with that? It's natural for your libido to take a dive after you've had a baby because if you think back to caveman times, we're really not supposed to be shagging our partner in the bushes while a saber-toothed tiger comes up and helps itself to our babies, right? We need to be paying attention. We will always have one ear out listening. Um, that desire will eventually come back up, but it never quite hits the same level as it did before babies. It's important to know that. It might come back up to like 90 or 95% of what it was. And then I think... Be realistic about your expectations as well. I think a lot of people expect to be having honeymoon sex after a baby's been born and you've got changes in your body, changes in your sleep, changes in the the nature of touch, uh, changes in your routine. There's so much change that you're trying to absorb whilst you're so very, very, very tired. (laughs) 
<laughs> I hear you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so making that effort to connect and making that effort to explore pleasure, I think will help libido. If people feel under pressure or, or have, like they have to tolerate things, then they're more likely to avoid the situation altogether. And I'm thinking, you know, it's I can understand that new dads are like, well, hey, we haven't been having a lot of sex while pregnant. Now's the time, you know, they get very excited about getting back on the sexy bandwagon and they find it really hard to understand that their partner is really tired or their body really doesn't feel like touch right now or that they're getting a lot of touch needs met by their baby. Right? So it's something that mums have to be conscious of as well to include their partner in touch because right? we all really crave touch and it's important for us. So we need to make sure that there is that loving, kind, yummy touch between the two of us. And I think that will make the libido differences a little easier to bear. So we do just need to be a bit more realistic about, yeah. you know, things are not going to be the same as they were before we ever fell pregnant. And what I hear a lot is communication is also important. Oh. We need to talk to our partners as well and not just expect them to understand that we're not in the mood. or <laughs> They won't. <laughs> <laughs> or the baby's meeting my touch needs right now and I'm not really thinking about your touch needs. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, you know, it's it's hard on the dads because they can feel really shut out and, and they want to connect with their partner. And yeah, so it's like, well, how can we connect? If you take a curious approach, like if I don't feel like intercourse or if I don't feel like something really prolonged, what can we do? Sometimes um, you can do something that's a gift for your partner. If you don't feel like being sexy, it might be like, hey, why don't I take a bit of time and do, give you some touch that you like? So it could, you could give your partner a massage. You could give them what I call a five-minute blowjob. It saved many marriages. Um, you can do a whole lot of touch or nice things for them if you're not feeling like being touched. If they want to touch you, then look at what you can do starting with a cuddle and starting with a kiss and starting with you know non-sexual touch mm. to sort of build into that. Because again, I think a lot of people go straight in for the genitals and straight in for stuff where people aren't warmed up. And that can really turn people off. And when they're tired, that can be annoying rather than sexy. Whereas gentle caressing and starting from the outside of the body and sort of making the way to genitals, getting them all wound up and excited about potential touch is a much better way to sort of come into being intimate with each other. Absolutely. I completely hear you on all this. And <laughs> it's those same messages we're trying to take out to women everywhere. Not all women are struggling with libido issues or pain issues. <laughs> no. Some women have completely healthy sex lives yeah. after giving birth. So it's not a general rule. Um, and sometimes it's the dads yeah. that can't meet the mum's sexual needs. So what advice do you have for that flip side? For that flip side, the same kind of stuff. Look at look at pleasure and look at how you can connect. Look what's getting in the way. Sometimes dads may have performance anxiety or they might be avoiding something. Um, it's less likely to be pain, but it could be something like they've had a bit of erectile dysfunction or premature ejaculation in the past, so they might be avoiding sex rather than having to deal with what I call the naked, awkward moment where things don't go well. Um, or it could just be that they're not in the mood because also when people get tired and stressed, their sleep's affected as well. It can take them out of the mood for sex. Yeah, especially if having more children or new children come yeah. in and you're suddenly thinking about, you know, how am I going to support this yes. new family? So yeah. there's a lot of stress and a lot of fatigue. Sometimes if babies are up all night, dads also suffer from fatigue as well. Exactly. Or they've just had a really big day at work and they can't come home and relax because there's things to be done um, and, and your partner to support and children Babies to bouncing care for. off the wall. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Tanya, sometimes women are really nervous about getting back to sex after having their baby and they don't know when's the right time to get back or is it safe to get back. And sometimes they see their obstetrician or their local doctor at their six-week check and they said, yeah, that's totally fine, you can go for it now. What, mm. what advice do you have when it comes to getting back to sex after baby? Um, I do think you should listen to, to what your doctors say. Um, but what your doctor says isn't always 100% right for you. So if they say, yeah, after six weeks, but you're experiencing pain or you feel like you're not ready, again, how can you connect with your partner rather than um, go straight for performance-related or outcome-focused sex? So it might be like, how can we cuddle? How can we connect? How can we make sure that we're having that skin touch and that skin hunger? And how can we come to things maybe slowly? Let, let's have a look at what's possible again. Let's start with kissing and cuddling because you also have to sort of feel into, has there been any change for me? How am I feeling? Have I got any pain? Um, am I worried about that? How's my partner feeling about things? You know, people can be very nervous about getting back on the boat, so to speak. Yeah. I usually say that intimacy can start straight away. Just like you're yeah. having skin to skin with baby, you can yeah. have skin to skin with your partner as well. So much. But when it comes to penetrative sex, that's yeah. really very individual. Some yes. women will be able to get back to it almost immediately. Wow. Whereas <laughs> some women do need to to wait until that six-week check. And if you've had any type of birth trauma, yep. maybe you've had severe perineal tearing, maybe you've had um, some infections down there, then you probably do need to wait a little bit longer. So definitely consult with your doctor, midwife, women's health physiotherapist, obstetrician about that. Yeah, get some advice. Um, but don't forget, you can still stay connected to your partner. It doesn't mean that everything has to be freezing cold between the two of you. Tanya, it's been so amazing having you here on the podcast, sharing all your expertise. Is there any last words of wisdom that you would like to share with the women who are listening? I think take a focus on pleasure. Look for what's possible. Focus on what you have and what you can do rather than what you can't do. Right. So you may have a problem there. That's great. See if you can get that addressed. But in the meantime, what is possible? So many things are possible. And it's a lovely way to connect with your partner. So always be seeking what's pleasurable between the two of you. That's it for this episode of Bellies, Bits and Babies, a babyology podcast hosted by Heba Shahid, physiotherapist and pelvic expert. If you have a question or a comment, send us an email, podcast at babyology.com.au. And if you think this podcast might help a friend, please let them know. Next time, we'll be talking about the importance of birth plans. I am a huge proponent of birth plans and not just you know, for what happens on the day, but even in the lead up, like everything from as soon as you find out you're pregnant and then right through, you know, the birth, what's going to happen and even the things that you don't want to happen to have it kind of outlined in your birth plan. I'm not trying to be controversial here, but I don't like, I'm going to say, it's not that I don't like birth plans. I like the concept. I don't like the wording. Right. So when we talk about mindset as women... We want something to go to plan, you know, and in our mind, we're going to plan it. And then if it doesn't go to what we said, we feel like we failed. So I give Birthbeat women a template that's called Birth Wishes. 